0: Is so beautiful, you know. Come play. Flip the page. Dynasty is the newest rage. Maybe you've played. Maybe you've made a trade. They list and now these fish are all up on ya. I mean, you won three ships. They wish they had your. So this is it. You want to learn the game. 101 pick. When it hits, you feel no pain. For the fantasy championship, Dynasty. hit the books, kid, read this pamphlet Dynasty. called the Dynasty. Owner's Manual, it, it, it's automatic, Dynasty, it, it's automatic, Owner's Manual, it, it, it's automatic, Dynasty, it, it's automatic. <mumbles> <laughs> and here are your authors,
1: Chris Allen. And Adam Wilde. All right, everybody, welcome back. This is episode 12 of the Dynasty Owner's Manual podcast. I'm your host, Chris Allen, and with us tonight, the man, the myth, the legend, uh, Leo Sega. And he, I mean, Leo, I mean, you're going to have to, and we're going to get into this here shortly, but this notebook, man, I can't tell you how many folks I've seen talk about the notebook. And uh, not the movie, but your actual notebook, and just trying to get an idea or an understanding of how in depth this thing goes in terms of player notes, or not just player notes, but like owner notes, and how deep this thing goes. So I, I'm really, I'm, I'm really excited to get into it with you tonight. So first off the top, we wanted to say thank you uh, for coming on to the show with us tonight, and uh, also find out how you're doing.
2: Well, I'm doing great. Thanks for asking, and it's really good to be with you guys today. Um, you know, I am kind of a podcast recluse, right? I don't do many of these, but it was nice to get the invite and nice to come on and, and do some notebook talking. Um You know, it, the notebook started uh, a really long time ago because I'm a really old guy. So it started, you know, back in the late 80s and it started with uh, a redraft league, a local redraft league that I was in. And, you know, it was a small redraft league. We only had 10 guys. Back then it wasn't you know, fantasy football wasn't super popular. Um, it was back in the days where you used the uh, Monday edition of the USA Today for tabulating all your stats. Um, wow. There was a lot more crap talking back then because, you know, it was, it was a small group and it was live, but a little different than online. But, um, but anyway, so the reason the whole notebook started, it started because of positional runs. That's what really made it take off for me was because I realized that this group of guys, these nine other owners would take quarterbacks really early. Back then, late round quarterback wasn't really a thing. These guys would take quarterbacks really early. And, and, you know, I would go in with a notebook and I would start tracking, um, all of their picks, not just mine, but their picks. You know, I would have a plot where I would have their starting quarterback, their running backs. Uh, their wide receivers, and I would just start charting and plotting their picks in. So I knew once that they had already picked their starting quarterbacks, because it was a small bench league. I mean, I think we had a few starters, and we only had like five or six bench guys. So nobody was really taking a second quarterback. So once I knew everybody had their starting quarterbacks, I could wait. I could wait till the very last pick of the draft if I wanted to and and know that I was still going to get a quality player at that position. So that's how it all started. I started realizing that four out of these guys would take a quarterback with their first pick every single year. Um Another two guys wouldn't get past round three without taking one to start logging all that down. And then from there, you know, it morphed into a much more detailed beast. But that's what really got the ball rolling. That is amazing. I mean, to me, it sounds like. You were, you were
1: cataloging all of these moves back before any of that information was something that I would say folks want to do right now or sites might even, I don't even think sites offer to do that stuff nowadays. So that, that's amazing that just thinking about the, you know, getting that edge and things that we discuss just on the, I mean, from a high level that owners discuss from a, even from a weekly standpoint. That's really interesting. That's something you tried to, uh, you started doing. Shoot, uh, depending on which year you start, that might have been before I was born. So my goodness. Uh, so. <laughs> Thank, thanks for that. I mean, that that is just, that is amazing, man. Uh, so, uh, let me flip it over right now to my partner in crime, Adam, because I know he has some questions about it. But first, uh, as I always ask, Adam, how are you doing, man? I noticed the new hat. Uh, what's that got, does that have to do with fantasy football? I have to ask. <laughs>
0: No, but I don't think I'll ever do a YouTube live without my Capitals hat again. My Look, DC is not going to win a championship for quite some time, so I need to bask in it a little. And I'm just really excited to have Leo. I've been excited for this one since we booked it. And Leo, I'm just really curious, what kind of book is it? I'm kind of a school supplies nerd. <laughs>
2: So, honestly, and I'll get into more detail as we break it down, but I always use a three-ring binder. It doesn't really matter whichever one's on sale because I want to be able to add and subtract pages, and that's the
0: easiest way to go at it. Nice. I was thinking uh, marble journal.
1: But now that you happen to mention that, so is that just something that for each year you have a separate notebook and then you just like you just start you start a new notebook each year, or is it something that you just
2: continue to compile notes until it's
1: filled up and then you just roll on to the next
2: one? so basically, what I do is I break it down with a notebook for each league, so and that way, I can expand you know just every year I do it by owner so so, to give you a quick walk through what I do with right i i I get a three ring binder. And I break it down into 12 sections because I want to have a section on myself because I think it's a key component to fantasy football strategy to know what your tendencies are. You may think you know, but until you actually see it on paper, you really don't. So I like to always track myself. So I'll break it into 12 sections, one per owner. And then within those 12 sections, I break it down into five more sections. I break it down. I've got a section on completed trades, not just my own, but I do a section on any trade in the league uh, because I want to know, you know, the idea behind that is, you know, is there a potential owner that's always selling draft picks? Is there a potential owner that's always selling off veterans when they get to 28 years old? Um, is there a potential owner that's always looking to buy aging vets? Because I want to know what door to knock on first. Uh, I want to know where to generate trade talk. So I'll have a section on the completed on a completed trade. Um, I'll have a section on negotiations that take place with that owner because I want to know um you know was it a gener- was it generated through email uh, was it something that was generated through trade bait was it something that um they got put off really quick if i asked a question uh, sometimes you know you go at an owner and you make a suggestion hey you know you our li- our roster seem to match up a little bit Do you want to try to pursue putting a deal together and and it can go off the rails real quick, depending on the owner, because, you know, you went out and approached them and they didn't like your initial evaluation. That's something that you need to know, because maybe you're just better off sending an offer without opening dialogue. Maybe you're better off getting a trade done if you open up the dialogue first without actually sending an offer. Those are things that I want to catalog. So when I go to deal with that owner, I know. Uh, how How they like to be approached this isn 't necessarily just um I would say analytical data. So
1: we're talking, we're not talking about just draft picks. We're not talking about just a draft position or like where or ADP. You're talking about specifics almost down to, well, this person prefers to be contacted via this way or if they like to be approached via, you know, this particular method or they do like to be approached prior to sending an offer versus just cold calling them or just sending them an offer right off the bat. I mean, you get really in depth when it comes to this stuff. And this has been since, since the beginning. This is how you've done.
2: Well, it's morphed into this, right? I mean, it changes every little every year when something new uh, I'll give you an example, it's a little further along with what I do, but social media is a change in how how I track things because that wasn't really a factor in fantasy football, you know, ten years ago, eight years ago. So that's been an addition. Um but I think it's just important. I mean, certain owners that you guys probably know this from from playing in my fantasy league, right? Certain owners still use trade bait. They'll you know, I'm not a big fan of trade bait because generally it's somebody selling a jigsaw puzzle that's five pieces short of a puzzle. You know, you're usually getting garbage. Um, But some guys really swear by trade bait. And you're going to have some folks that if you make an offer to them, uh, they'll go to the chat or to the message board and they'll say, you know, hey, I wasn't thinking of selling Le'Veon Bell before. But now that Leo sent me an offer, let me see what I can get from the rest of the league. You know, there's certain owners I know that do that. So that's something I want to know because I have to realize that once I initiate trade dialogue with this person, chances are he's putting it out to the whole league. So I need to go aggressive and try to get it wrapped up before that happens. So then you you talked about, you know, analytical aspect of it. I do track draft picks. I think that's huge because you need to know if there's an owner in the league who evaluates talent the same way you do. You need to know if there's an owner in the league that drafts positionally, has more comfort in understanding a position. I have one owner in a league that really knows how to evaluate rookie running backs. That's his comfort zone. doesn't matter if there's a really good wide receiver on the board. He's more comfortable drafting running backs. I've got another owner in a league that evaluates talent the same way I do. And if I'm not aggressive enough to get in front of him, I'm going to lose my target to him every single time if we're close, if we're within three picks of each other. I wanted Lamar Jackson in one particular league that we're in. I had the two six. I thought I was safe with the two six. It's a one quarterback league. I looked and saw he was two picks in front of me. I tried desperately to get in front of him. And sure enough, at two four, he took Lamar Jackson. So it didn't, even though I knew it didn't help me because I couldn't find a trade partner to to jump in front of him. Blind bids. I'm not really super aggressive on tracking. It's only when I notice something out of the order. Ordinary. like when blind bids first open up if there's a particular owner that'll blow their whole budget on a, on a player Right off the bat, that's something I'll catalog. But I don't necessarily, you know, target and track every single $2 bid because I think that's just um, there's not a lot of data to be um, gleaned from that information. So it's more or less the big heavy hits that I really want to track. If somebody jump right away, to somebody hold their budget every year to the very end? That type of stuff I'll track. And then, and then the last that I've been tracking now is, is their social media presence I kind of talked about a little earlier because that's new. And, and it's a huge component to, to understanding the owners in your league. My fantasy league kind of changed things up because it used to be where you could track an owner in your league by their email. You could just plop their email address into the bar and you could see every single league that they were in. So you were able to go through and say that they have a favorite player. You know, I'm only in one league with this guy, but let me check his five other squads. Does he own Antonio Brown on every single team? Well, that aspect has kind of been taken away. And and certainly you can have burner accounts on Twitter where, you know, you don't really know who the person is. But for the most part, um, not to belabor the issue, but for the most part, what I found is what I do now is I really look at podcasts. And a an particular person that's talking up, say, Sammy Watkins, he's a buy, he's a buy, he's a buy, go get him. And all of a sudden I got, you know, three offers for Sammy Watkins or then all of a sudden I know, OK, well, there's a good chance now that this person subscribes to that podcast. Because they're generating off of that, especially if it's an obscure player, you know, if it's not somebody that, you know, 10 podcasts are talking about, if it happens to be you guys, or if it happens to be, you know, Dynasty Blueprint, or if it happens to be Matt Kelly, and all of a sudden they talk about, you know, going after Gio Bernard or going after uh, a particular player that's a little deeper, and all of a sudden I get offers for that from a particular owner, now I can make the connection and it's something I start to track.
0: So, Leo, we're all about practical application here, so we want to be able to put it into terms that other people can use. I just want to know, is there a player that you were able to acquire largely in part due to what you've researched in your notebook?
2: Uh, yeah, not necessarily so much a player, but I'll give you an example. I play in one particular Devi league, and there's an owner in that league that is – um especially skilled at evaluating talent at a very young age he is able to acquire incoming freshmen that blossom and he just picks them off so early and I've got a lot of respect for his ability to do that um, but what he does also do is he gets extremely impatient and it's something that I've been able to pick out over time just from watching trades that he's made and for the last few years I've basically used him as a farm system because he's getting those players as freshmen coming in and by their sophomore year, he's already frustrated with having waited two years and doesn't want to wait for them to, you know, declare after their junior season. So I'll make him an offer of players that are, that are producing at this given moment. And I was able to get Barkley that way and I was able to get Dalvin Cook that way before they both, before they declared because he had gotten tired of them sitting on, on his bench. Wow. And especially in those cases, it seems like that B, be- I guess very advantageous for
1: you to have that. And so a separate question that I have, just surrounding the whole notebook and its quote-unquote mythology from what I've seen on social media, at what point did it start to get out that folks knew that you had this? Like, was it something that you would just tell them straight up, like, hey, uh, according to this trade that I saw you do a couple of years ago, you valued this person that way, and then folks started to get an understanding that you were actually doing this, or was this just something that you know people just kind of uh, I guess through being with being in many leagues with you, they started
2: to understand that you had this information in front of you. Like, did you just tell yeah. people or they just know? I think it's a combination of both. Uh, I think my, uh, my social media presence, I've talked about it quite a bit. So pe- some people though, don't even make the connection. It's like I had one owner this past, you know, a couple of weeks ago, basically. Say, "Oh, really you're on Twitter. Like they had no idea. <laughs> um, but so it's been a combination of both. And, and I, I'll be, you know, as upfront as I can with, with most of the owners because what I found is that you want to have a level of transparency and a level of candor with your league mates. Um, you know, I never go out on Twitter and try to puff up a particular player because I'm trying to sell them or because, I, you know, or talk down a player because I'm trying to buy them. I try to be really transparent with the other owners in my league, be really upfront with them, try to have open dialogue. You know, that's something that I think is so crucial to, to being able to understand the other owners in your league is even league chat leads to learning more things about these guys. Um, You know, they can talk about maybe about where they're from, right? And then all of a sudden they have a particular favorite team, and maybe that leads to them wanting a particular player. In one draft this past uh, week, I had a rookie draft and I took uh, Gallup for the Cowboys a little earlier than I wanted to because I know I have two diehard Cowboy fans in this league and i 'm hoping that, after a big game early on in the season i 'll be able to flip them it 's a risk, but it 's a calculated risk based on information i 've gotten uh, from these guys so again, I try to be upfront i don 't try to hide anything from them i, I you know i 've never had anybody get mad at me because it 's not like i 'm tracking personal information i 'm just tracking information based on what they do in this league um, and it 's something I enjoy I think the key to fantasy football and we 'll get into this probably a little later when we talk analytics is that. You know, do what you enjoy. I'm not an analytics guy. I'm more of a, of a relationship person with my league mates and I'm a film guy. Those are the things that I enjoy. I know I need to add those other aspects to my game to be good, but I do what I enjoy and, and, and tracking other people and profiling and gaining that information. That's part of the hobby to me that's fun. Absolutely, and I think that you touched
1: upon a couple of points there that I can remember actually going back to our very first episode with Carl Saftchik, and I would encourage folks to go back and listen to it. In that you mentioned going at just creating relationships with people in terms of how you get information about your league. And I think both Carl and Adam during that episode uh, they discussed doing just that. In that, you can learn so much from uh, just talking to somebody about how they how they value a player that it can give you. I wouldn't say a hundred percent of the information that you need, but enough to get put you in a range of how they view a player and how much you can not necessarily extract from them, but later on down the line how you can make trades with them along those same lines. I mean, do you think that? As you go to – as you continue to catalog information about folks, you go from league to league, is it something that you – do you seek out a person? I mean do you do you want to join leagues with folks that you've already cataloged or been in leagues with prior that you have information on? Or do you just – or do you also enjoy the getting to know more people, getting to you know find out more information about them as you go along?
2: Yeah. So I've kind of reached a max. I was at a point where I was in like 36 dynasty leagues at one point and that's just too many. And and so I've really scaled back. I think I'm down to like 20 now total. And um, what I found was that initially, you're right. I I thought it would be easier to just be in leagues where I, and I do play in a few leagues where it's repeat owners. So, so that is helpful. But um, since I enjoy it, I found that if I sought out the same owners again, some of the enjoyment was gone because it wasn't somebody new to gain information on. I'd already had a lot of it. So uh, what I found was that I kind of liked the new aspect and and the more diversity and differences in the leagues that I'm in – the more I enjoy tracking that information. So uh, now I'm at a point where I really like it when it's a new owner. we know nothing about that owner because that's a relationship to foster and to, and to get data from. So to me, that's enjoyable. The, the one thing I would add, too, during this conversation, is I get asked a lot, how would I start? Like it sounds overwhelming, the amount of information that you collect. How would I go about doing that? Absolutely. And my advice, to any, my advice to anybody who's asked me that question is start with one league. Just pick one league, whatever league you're working on the most, whatever league you enjoy the most, whether it's your best team or it's a rebuild, whatever team you find yourself spending the most time with, pick that team and then start slowly. Go back the last couple of years because my fantasy league has that data saved, especially most of the guys that I talk to play in my fantasy leagues. I think ESPN and Yahoo, Flea Flicker, I think they all probably do the same thing, but go back and look at the last couple of years at the draft picks, go back and look at the last couple of years of the trades and just start to kind of document things that stick out to you. You don't have to document everything. And then as you start to see patterns develop, then you be the judge. Was it worth the time investment? Did I get enough was a juice worth the squeeze, I've heard people say before, you know, was it, did I get enough information from what I did? And if the answer is yes, and you had a good time doing it, then expand out. If the answer is no, then there's no reason to be locked into doing it. But I think if you pick one league, go back to do that one league and give it a shot, you'll be amazed at the amount of information you can get just from draft picks and from trades looking back at a two, three year window.
0: And as you teach us about this, it brings me back to something that I've been doing naturally, but without the notebook and I often almost find a friend in this way and uh, many of my leagues if you followed me in any capacity this off season, you probably know I, I try to win now pretty early on if I'm starting up I'm usually trying to win now and I'm trying to pay for the next few years well we're going to get into productive struggle in just a minute and there are a lot of people that still follow that so why wouldn't I partner up with the productive struggle guy who got good value somewhere in the draft that doesn't fit the productive struggle. I might have somebody that I got good value on that does fit the productive struggle. And often we end up making each other's teams. And one of my leagues, we made each other's teams. Essentially, he was a rebuild and I was trying to win the championship. I came in second place and he came in third. So he probably hit on a lot of those trades when he was trying to rebuild but we had a good read on each other and we got trades done fast they made sense for our teams and a notebook would have been very helpful in tracking that so to move past the notebook just a little bit we've talked about how we've acquired information throughout the league but what you still need to do is create a winning roster you have to be making the right trades even though you're getting trades done probably more efficiently so Let's talk about roster construction a little. I know in following you, you used to do something similar to the productive struggle that Ryan McDowell likes to reference. What are you doing nowadays?
2: So, I, I like I said earlier, I haven't done a ton of startups lately because I've been trying to limit the amount of, of leagues that I add. Um certainly because, again, I went to 30-something leagues, so I've tried to scale back. But in the last couple of years, I've added three total. I added two back in 2016, and I added one this year. What I found is in 2016, it was a learning experience for me because uh, I'd always done the progressive struggle type draft where I always punted year one. I was very comfortable with it. I was good at it. I would punt year one. I would invest in enough young upside talent. I know upside is a term overused and beaten to death, but I would grab enough of it that I would feel comfortable with my squad. I would punt the first year. I would acquire draft picks and and I would have a good opportunity to win in years two and three. Um, If not two, generally by year three, I was in, in a position to win the league title. And what I found in 2016 was that So many people do that now that there's an over – I hadn't done a startup in a while. So I found that so many people chase that young talent that you're always reaching every single round. You're reaching for a guy that doesn't fit that ADP because you've got to get younger. You've got to get more upside. And and the value that's on the board is aging veterans, productive aging veterans, but you don't want to draft that 28-year-old A.J. Green in the third round or second round. You want to try to reach for a younger guy. And, and it didn't work for me in 2016. I found myself having to revamp my whole strategy to be competitive. So going into 2017 to the startup I did this year, I said, you know what, I'm not doing it anymore. I'm going to take advantage of the fact that all these aging veterans are falling and and I'm going to just go ahead and build the most productive team for year one that I can build and have a two-year window now where I win and then I'll worry about rebuilding down the road.
0: So in abandoning that productive struggle, I you hit the nail on the head on why I do what I do in the startups I'm in. And I'm in a lot of startups this year because I had to drop my original dynasty league so that's why i'm doing so many startups now and i'm at the point where i'm able to acquire antonio brown julio jones and aj green in the first three rounds of a super flex but it seems insane to me that you're able to roster these three receivers and it's for the exact reason that you said it's people really really get scared of those ages and guys like julio aj and ab they might make it to 35 they might be doing the whole larry fitzgerald thing so there's value to be had but the question i've been asking many many weeks now because this is something that worries me when you draft a team on value at age or you start converting your rebuild to an older team how do you continue winning after you win your championship
2: so i i think the key there's a couple things that you can do i think that uh I think the idea of acquiring first round draft picks more than a year out if you're able to do that is, is a, is a good strategy because you're getting them at us. Everybody gets caught up in this upcoming draft, right? Everybody, especially as we get closer to draft time, everybody wants that first round rookie draft. A lot of times you can trade your late first round pick. So if you built a team on productive veterans, chances are you're chasing a title. Your draft pick is going to be a little later. So maybe you can that 110, 111, 112, target a team that isn't likely to finish in the uh, bottom half of the draft, you know, the following year, target that team and try to flip your late first rounder for an early first rounder, just push it out a year. Uh, That'll put you in a position to add some stronger youth uh, to your team as it's scaling off. The other component to that is you'd always need to churn the bottom part of your roster. You always have to search the waiver wire. You always have to be looking for that guy that maybe. Didn't start the season off as even in the conversation for carries, but by week five, week six, all of a sudden, now you've got a Peyton Barber that's come out of the woodwork that's all of a sudden fighting for carries. And in, in week one, he wasn't really in a discussion. So you want to add those guys because you can either plug them into your lineup a year or two down the road, maybe, or you can flip them as they perform and you can add a different target that you'd rather have or a potential draft pick. Uh, even you can package two seconds for a first. You can you got to be creative, but you've always got to mind the waiver wire and you've always got to look to acquire first round picks a year out. And if you can do that, that'll help blend your roster and make it a little more the transition a little easier as your players fall off the cliff.
0: And that's great information. We had that discussion a little bit off air where I was talking about later in the draft when I've got a solid starting lineup and solid depth, then I'm starting to look for guys that I could see flipping for maybe a 19 second in the foreseeable future. But let's take a break just for a second and talk about our buddy Addison Hayes. He just made the FF Statistics Twitter. So if you're not following that, definitely go check it out. And if you're not using the website, you're really doing yourself a a disservice but we like to do ff statistics trivia once a week so i'm going to be a player and i'm going to tell you all about myself both chris and leo are participating let me know who i am all right you guys got it all right let's see how got we do it. here all right despite producing only one wide receiver one since joining the league i've finished as a top five quarterback five times in my career who am i russell wilson nope i think he has more wide receiver one finishes
1: can I get a hint? Like what year was he drafted?
0: 2011, I believe. 2011? Oh, oh, man. It's on the tip of your tongue. I can tell. He rips his shirt every time he scores a touchdown.
1: Oh, Uh-oh. Cam. Cam?
0: Cam Newton. Yeah. That is correct. All right, Leo, back on topic. One last thing to say, too, were you're talking about what else to do. The other thing
2: when you're talking yeah. about the – turning those aging rosters over, you always got to take advantage of a hot selling window. Um, That was something that popped into my head while we were talking, right? It's easy to get caught up with a hot selling window. And if your player's performing super well, you want to keep that player, right? Like if all of a sudden maybe AJ Green is all he's having three monster games in a row, and you want to ride that? But if that's your window, now all of a sudden there's league-wide interest in a 28, 29-year-old wide receiver, and you've got enough depth to sustain that. You've got another. You've got enough. Uh, older vets on your team that are still producing that you can absorb that take advantage of that hot window you've got to be able to separate yourself and you've got to be able to say this is my time to cash out take advantage of it you can't be greedy and say the hell of it i'm just going to run it and let them go into the ground take advantage of that window because that will help you transition uh, your roster over as
0: well and earlier you discussed analytics just a little bit so We often argue with our buddy Jake and uh, Peter, Jake Anderson and Peter Howard. Actually, we get them arguing about analytics and about film. And we've had them both on the show, great guests, and they go back and forth on Dynasty Crossroads every week. Um, What side of the fence do you stand on and and what resources do you use for whatever side you stand on?
2: So I'm definitely a film guy because it's what I enjoy. But at the same time, I understand that I have to be balanced. I think it's a perfect marriage between film and analytics. I don't think you can have too much of one. Um, you need them both. You need to have, you need to be able to watch film. I think film's very important from a standpoint that it makes you a better dynasty player because you need to have a baseline when you watch these rookies come into the league. And I think it's super important that you're able to come up with your own baseline so that you can gauge it against a couple other voices. One of the problems we get caught up with in fantasy football is there's so many folks with megaphones, soapboxes, podiums, all you, you follow one player over the course of a week on Twitter and there's 15 sell articles, 15 buy articles on the same player. You've got to be able to, You've got to be able to have your own eval on that player so you're comfortable with that. Um, so I think film, like I said, especially with rookies, film is so important. But at the same time, know your weaknesses. I know I'm not a stat guy. Um, I look at some of these guys like Addison and, and, you know, here they are working with these Excel sheets and they're putting in macros and, you know, pivot tables and all this stuff. I see these graphs come across Twitter. That's just not me. I look at that and I get lost. It's like hieroglyphics. But I know it's important. So I pick out a few solid voices that I really like to listen to that I really think do a great job explaining not just the, the end results but how they got there. Because I think that's a key component. When you're not comfortable with a topic, you need to know how the information, how you reach that final destination, how did you get that number? Uh, and there's a few guys out there. Addison is one. He does a fantastic job. That site that he has put together is such a instrumental tool in a lot of what I do now. Because I'm not super comfortable, and it's a super easy site to use, and 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 it's free and can 't do better than that they 've done such like I said a great job with that, um, but I think it 's important if you 're a stat guy, get comfortable with film I, I think matt waldman 's um, the RSP film room is huge because he walks you through, talk about how you get to a certain point. He doesn't just tell you that this particular player hits the hole quickly, has good vision. He explains why breaks it down and step-by-step so that you become a film of value. Scouting Academy does the same thing. They'll put clips up where they explain, this is what that running back saw. This was the crease they saw when they pushed the line of scrimmage, learning those things makes you a better evaluator. So the key is to get comfortable with the things that you're not good at. Make sure you absorb them, and and also learn how to die to digest some film.
0: I just wanted to add in a quick little blurb. So I like Peter Howard and Addison Hayes a lot when it comes to analytics, and I think I've been buddies with both of them because they're amazing. They just spew out the knowledge off the top of their head, and. You could argue that there's much, much, much bigger names out there. But what we've been talking about this whole time is trying to exploit weaknesses. If everybody is out there listening to Matt Wallman, for one, it's common knowledge at that point because he created the common knowledge. And then two, you get a different perspective. So – I encourage you to go out there and try to find somebody with a different perspective and just interact with them. And uh, that's how I gain all of my analytics knowledge because I did not come into this having any of that knowledge myself.
1: And I would say just on the flip side of that is that I personally, I would say that I'm an analytics person and that like my approach, I mean, just in understanding what both of you guys have both commented on is that I know film is my weakness, but who have I, who have I decided to, to talk to or lean on uh, on the opposite side of the fence in order to get some more information? I mean I've talked to Jake. I mean we just had a wonderful conversation with him a couple of weeks ago and where a lot of the – I guess the criteria that he looks for in all positions, he just kind of laid it out. And those are things that now I'm starting to look for, look for whenever I go to watch film. Like if I ever get a chance to down and watch it, uh, folks like Joe Pano, who's on uh, who's on Twitter, I think his you know his evaluation, the criteria that he uses for uh, for looking at either whether it be running backs, wide receivers. I don't know, I think I don't think that there's any particular position that he really goes for, but I mean. Those are the folks that you should be speaking to because again, you will find. I mean, most people are looking at Matt Wallman's work. They are looking at Matt Harmon's work when it comes to wide receivers. Uh, I mean, a lot of those guys are following the guys with the blue check marks, but you can still get quality information or at least a, a different perspective for some of those from the, for some of those other people that we've spoken about. So, 100% agree with you guys, and I'm hoping that. Or I'm assuming that most of you guys, uh, the folks listening at home, are already speaking to and following all of those guys already. So it's a lot of good information that you can have. So turning the page just a little bit, Leo. So we've spoken about the roster construction. So let's say that you you've got your you've got your completed roster. You're getting into the thick of it. It's the you're now into the season. So. How do you actually start to win games with your roster once you've already once you've already put it all together? So do you go to a lot of? Uh, do you find yourself using uh, daily fantasy sites like uh, like four for four? I, I mentioned that because I write for them. That's just a shameless plug right there. Uh, or the ESPN Roto World, World. I mean, do you find yourself utilizing those types of sites? Or, uh, I mean, anything along the lines of, like, uh, do you like to play DFS or look at any of the DFS content? I mean, are those influences that you see yourself using in order to help you out from a dynasty perspective?
2: I actually think it 's a missing component for a lot of dynasty players because I think that once you construct that perfect roster, you kind of sit back and just think your roster is going to take care of you for the rest of the way you 've amassed all this talent you 've built the your perfect starting lineup, and all you have to do is plug and play and that 's not always the case i mean you don 't want to overdo it right and get crazy and and sit Antonio Brown for you know a third wide receiver on on a team but at the same time, you need to understand matchups, and I think daily, daily really offers an opportunity to understand what the folks who concentrate on that are looking at. There's certain matchup analytics that really come into play. Uh, particular slot wide receivers benefit greatly playing against this particular slot cornerback. Those are things that are important that a lot of times dynasty players just kind of skim over. Like, I know I'm plugging this guy in. He's part of my starting lineup. That's it. And I think the daily aspect of it is, Hey, there's a lot of things that are taken into each individual matchup. And those guys, since they focus on that one particular Sunday, they focus on that one particular game. Uh, it's, it's key to get a couple of voices. We talk about singling out certain voices that, that you trust and, Ryan has that list of fantasy football follows that is out there free for anybody who's out there that, um, and it's broken down into categories. You've got a category for dynasty. You've got a category for daily for, you know, every single thing that's out there you've redraft. And, And so I would say to anybody who's listening, Go to that, get that, and anybody that's on that list, make sure you're following them and then go through and kind of gauge who you're the most comfortable. How do they present the information so that, um, again, you understand how they're getting there? there's a couple of uh, articles every week that Roto World puts out that are really good. You know, Evan Silva does the matchup column where he talks about what to expect. Four for four is great. Uh, Paulson has some great rankings that come out every week. And, and so those are all important. And then there's, again, a few daily guys that really focus in on what to expect in a particular matchup to exploit. So I think those are all key components to being a better dynasty player. And if you don't take advantage of that, just like if a film guy doesn't take advantage of analytics or an analytics guy doesn't take advantage of film you really need to use all the resources that are out there for you absolutely and i think
1: when it comes to at least from my personal experience because i do come at i come at dynasty from a redraft perspective so i understand the players but i think that when it comes to dynasty at one thing that i'm trying to understand or at least try to not necessarily ignore but at least be cognizant of is that when it comes to dynasty, we almost kind of look at things from a, from a, a 30,000 foot view because we're looking at players over the long haul. Like in some players, we want to try and at least understand their value over the course of their career or if not, maybe the two to three year window as some folks t- like to look at it. But alright, so I've got that player, but now when it comes to week one and that player's playing up against, I don't know, insert, you know, incredibly tough defensive matchup here. Now, what are we going to do with that player? You know, that player that you traded a, you know, a 19 first for now has a terrible matchup in week one. What are you supposed to do with that player? And that's where some of these, you know, some of these daily sites, like we just mentioned, or some of these voices in the daily community or redraft community can be of use to you. So when it comes to making tough lineup decisions, I mean, are there some influences or what influence do you have when you, uh, when you talk about having some of those tough lineup decisions? Do you look at things like some of the Vegas odds that uh, I think Warren Sharp, I think he likes to lay down a lot of information when it comes to making Vegas odds. And I love his charts are like, again, th- that looks like hieroglyphics to me, some of the charts he puts out. Uh, but uh, or, or do you uh, take anything like weather into account when making tough lineup decisions when it comes to Dynasty?
2: Yeah, he's a sharp dude, isn't he? Uh, my Play goodness. on words there, right? Yeah. He's, uh, he's, he is amazing. Um, So, I think, I think the Vegas odd that I really pay attention to is the over and the under because I want to have an idea of what the odds makers think we're looking at for potential points. That's important, right? If it's going to be a game where they're setting that over under very low, then I don't really want to have too many players going in that game because they're the ones who are making more money on this than I could ever dream, and they're the ones who are generally right more often than not. So um, if they're projecting a very high-scoring game, I'll make lineup decisions based on that. I'll try to get an extra player in that particular game, try to stack that particular offense uh, with a quarterback wide receiver if I can, or a quarterback running back if I can. So to me, that's important. Uh, weather comes into play for me when we're talking about quarterbacks. That's really the only thing that I worry about, and it's wind. I don't even worry about rain so much, is when we start getting really high winds, that's something I take into account. Um, I did learn my lesson the hard way and I went back and looked this up because I wanted to get it right um, because I, I learned a lesson back in 2008 and it was a very difficult lesson to learn on weather so it was in the title game and so it was week 16 and I had Ben Roethlisberger on my team and they were going up against the Titans And it was at home, and they had a forecast of 30-mile-an-hour wins for that game with gusts up to 45. And I was very concerned about Ben in that weather. Now, my backup quarterback at that time was Dan Orzlowski for the Lions. And he was coming off a very nice performance the week before where he threw for almost 300 yards and I think two scores. So I felt comfortable. They were playing the Saints at home. And I felt the Saints had the worst passing defense in the league that year, and I was very comfortable that I would be able to slide Orlowski in and um, and and put Roethlisberger on my bench because I had the matchup that I thought I could win with a very minimal amount of production from my quarterback. I had an edge at every position in this title game. I wanted a very I wanted a high the highest floor I could have. I wasn't worried about my ceiling, mm-hmm. so I, I went with that. And Ben ended up uh, scoring twenty three points that game did very well and Orzlowski scored four so and I ended up lo- I ended up losing by 18 so if I had just stuck with what I knew I should do really and play the better of the two quarterbacks I would have won that game and it's haunted me since 2008 um, even though I had to go back and dig up the specifics that lesson always comes back to my to the forefront when I'm when I'm getting too cute. When I'm trying to make a lineup decision and I'm trying to outsmart myself, I always go back to, well, Einstein, remember what you did back in 2008, and remember it cost you the title, so why don't you just go ahead and do what you know you need to do here? And so I won't go quite so crazy. But to get back to your point, I worry about total points. I worry about weather from the standpoint of wind and a quarterback. uh, But other than that, I I really look at matchups. Uh, and that's again where the daily guys come in because I really want to try to take advantage of personnel packages. I really, really want to take advantage of offensive line versus defensive line. And I want to take advantage of how wide receivers and, and cornerbacks are matching up. And is there an opportunity to exploit some individual matchups?
0: So we've provided some awesome information so far, and it's been great for our rosters that we have now. Let's talk about a roster that we're about to have. The three of us have been fortunate enough to have been invited to Scott Fishbowl. So while we have you, Leo, could you give us a little bit of information on the format, a little bit of draft strategy, and maybe some resources you might have?
2: So let's talk a little bit about Scott
0: first, okay?
2: Because the the amount of effort and energy this guy puts into running Running this league and running this—it's not even a league. It's an event. It's mm-hmm. an industry-wide event, countrywide. Yeah. It, it's it's amazing, and so many folks. I, I what they said, seven thousand people were trying
0: to get into uh, the last
2: the last slot that was we available
0: worldwide. Even at that point, right? Yeah, it's
2: crazy. So anyway, as far as Scott is one of the most generous, one of the kindest uh, people in the industry. Whether it's his time, whether it's his money, whether – I mean, it's just a – it really is mind-blowing to me what this guy does, not just for uh, fantasy cares and raising money for Christmas toys, for underprivileged kids, for needy kids – not just that it's of his time um i had questions early on when i got into this industry you know not that i'm um putting out a ton of content but there was a while there where i had my own podcast and i was writing articles and i was really enjoying it and scott was so generous with his time answering questions um just being there for me you even see it with fanball now when when something happens and there's a glitch he's the first one on the scene trying to trying to just make sure everything is comfortable and works well for everybody the taking of this contest is, again, amazing, and he's uh, so giving of his time, and I just want to say thank you to him for getting this going, for the effort that he puts into it, the endless hours that he puts into it. Tremendous job, and I recommend anybody out there who's listening to this that didn't get in but still wants to make a donation, please go to the website, uh, go to Fantasy Care. It's on Twitter. It's connected to a whole bunch of us out there. Um Scott's got it on his webpage Make a donation. You can get shirts. You can just make a contribution. Whatever you can do, it's greatly appreciated. I believe last count we were over what $22,000. I think Scott had in his team had gotten together. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah.
0: I just saw today.
2: I mean, again, that's amazing. So kudos to him. Well done to his team and, and, and thanks for all he does. Now, as far as the particular, those of who don't know, it's a multifaceted, uh, multi league contest where was it 900 altogether, something like that? Owners have teams, Mm -hmm. uh, duplicate division. So, you know, you're in a division with 11 other owners, but it's, you know, division by division by division by division. And then it ends up funneling down to you have one ultimate champion of this whole thing. And... He does the scoring uniquely in this contest so that uh, all the positions are really evened out across the board. Being a super flex, he does a point per first, you know, a particular percentage of points for first downs for PPR. He uh, adds an increase for tight ends so that the positions again across the board offer so many different strategies for how you build your team. Uh, the one thing that I've been preaching or two things I've been preaching the past two weeks are basically for folks who are kind of new to the contest. Cause there's a lot of folks who haven't done this before. And the two bits of advice that I can really give out to the folks. And, and I'm sure you guys can hop on this as well and offer more insight. First, you've got to be super, super fluid in how you read this draft because every single division for every single draft is different. Um, you know some divisions quarterbacks fly off the the board in the first round and a half some divisions they don't come off the board till round 5 round 6 it all really depends and you've got to get a read for that pretty quickly and you've got to go in with really no set strategy you've got to be able to adjust quickly and and read your league see how it's going and then and then uh, adjust again accordingly to that. So it's that's very important. The other thing that's important is don't base your decisions on the mocks because my experience has been that the mocks, people are generally way more comfortable drafting in a mock than they are in the real thing and where they'll let certain positions or certain players fall in the mock, they will not let that happen once we get to where it counts. So you've got to be prepared for that. Again, it goes back to reading your league and being able to adjust quickly. And the final thing I'll say is that you kind of really need to get an idea of who you're in your league with. And this goes back to my whole notebooking idea, is kind of understand who your competition is. If you're in a league, a division, with a lot of veterans, Scott, uh say you're in with with Scott Fish himself or you're in with Sigmund Bloom, or you're in with Evan Silva or Ryan or some of these other guys who've done it so many times, chances are there's going to be a little more adherence to uh, the mock ADP, and they're going to be a little more comfortable without getting roped into positional runs. But if you're in a league with a lot of guys who are doing this for the first time in a division where they don't have a lot of experience, there's going to be some incredible – Positional runs. There's gonna be ADP throw there's gonna be collateral damage everywhere with uh guys that really haven't done this before. So kinda get an idea who who your competition is, who the other eleven guys are in your particular division, and get an idea maybe how that's gonna go before you go in ahead of time.
0: And I'll provide a little bit of what I'm doing and it sounds really stupid to say out loud, but I'm not doing much is how I'm preparing. And the reason I say that is because You can mock and mock and mock and then you go in with this golden strategy, but then you're not willing to throw that strategy away and you're going to have to throw it away. So most dynasty startups, I will prepare and prepare and prepare and I'll have numerous rankings and numerous projections. I do wish I grabbed a 2018 projection, but besides that, I've purposely avoided the mocks because I don't want to see a team from the seven spot and then anticipate getting that team again. It's going to be a totally different group of people, uh, likely are referred to a specifically this, the quarterback run. There will be quarterback runs. You can use it to your advantage or you can just follow the herd. But either way, whatever happened in your mock isn't going to help you with that. So be prepared, You know, do some thinking, but be also prepared to throw all your preparation away is my tip there. And I would have to agree with both of you guys because as
1: I was mentioning before we started recording this evening, I've done no mocks up until now. I've been out on vacation for the past week and I just started looking at uh, some ADP from the, from a few mocks, uh, last night. And the one thing that I am doing just to get a feel for, I guess, where players, where certain players are going and just where certain positions are going, is that I'm looking at both the ADP data and then also the standard deviation of said ADP data, and I'm just shifting everything up by their standard deviation, just to assume that, well, if they're really getting picked around, like, pick, like, 60, but the standard deviation is, like, 5 or 6 picks, I'll just assume that they're getting picked at, like, 55 or 54. I'm just assuming everybody's going to get picked earlier, and I won't have a shot at them. So... It's good to at least have a feel for, a feel for the players or just the, the players and where they're going. But like both of you guys said, get to know your owners. I mean, one, I think that's one of the big things that Scott really wants out of the entire tournament to begin with is that, you know, he wants everybody, you know, throwing up the hashtag SFB8, that he wants you like creating those group chats or whatever with each of, with all the rest of the, the other 11 owners in your division. Cause he wants everybody to get to know each other. I mean, we have a, you know, in some cases, there are some folks where you're in a division with maybe a few people you know or people you might work with or associate with. But in some cases, you might just be, you might be that fan that gets in with 11 other writers or folks within the industry. And how else are you going to get to know those folks without just, you know, just talking with them saying, Hey, I'm about to play you this weekend or good luck to your squad or, you know, whatever. And, And also, just like Leo was talking about earlier, how else are you going to get information about how they value players without talking to them? That's one of the big things that, you know, that's one of the ways that you can find out, well, hey, you know, I'm a fan of this team, or hey, I saw from a podcast that you did that you're a Green Bay fan, so, You're probably going to be taking, you know, they might be talking about taking Aaron Rodgers in like at the end of the first round, which is probably going to wind up happening anyway. But it's just things like that where getting to know your owners and being flexible, not necessarily walking in with, you know, kind of Chuck Zero RB and like all that other stuff right out the window. Because once you start drafting, you're gonna get caught up in the, in the, you know, in the thick of it just like everybody else and just be, I guess, one, have fun and then two, be flexible and be ready to just adjust to your league as, as you move on. So that would be kind of echoing your guys' thoughts, but that would be my advice to folks, especially if it's your first year. Just have fun with it. I mean, you're gonna wind up, you know, probably, uh, you know, drafting a team that you're going to love it at first, but then you might take a few hits, injuries, bye weeks, you know, all that stuff happens anyway. But just have some fun with it and talk with the rest of folks in your league.
2: Absolutely. Try not to have division envy because that's that's what generally ends up happening, right? You look yeah. at your division and you're like, man, I can't believe this is the squad I ended up with. If only I had been in, in that other division because <sighs> – so all the players I wanted were on the board when I picked, and it would have been perfect because I remember going through that last year. I looked at a couple divisions, and I was like, how the heck did that person last to round four? I you know, I wanted them in round three, and somebody took them in my division in round two. So try not to get hooked up with divisional envy and just enjoy your process.
1: Oh, yeah, and play that waiver wire. I made it to the playoffs last year, I kid you not, because I grabbed Alvin Kamara off the waiver wire. Okay, so that could be you next year. I started out 0-4. To start the season, and I still wound up making to the playoffs off the backs of yeah, Alvin Kamara and Alex Collins. Now, when Kamara went down with that concussion, that was pretty much the end of my season after that. But still, that could right. be you this year.
2: So uh, just it, it, you know. injuries play such a huge role in deciding who actually oh, wins yeah. this thing. Uh, probably more so than any other league out there. I mean, it's a it, bottom line is you can do well in the regular season. You can just chop two players and or other opponents and you suffer one or two key injuries coming down the stretch and, you know, the waiver wire is depleted and you're in in rough shape. So injuries are so huge in this thing.
1: Yeah, and I think with the way that Scott's done the scoring, I mean, I've seen some of his tweets like where he not necessarily agonizes over scoring settings, but he he puts a lot into just the scoring settings because he really believes in making sure that all the positions like they're valued equally. And I think he's done a great job of that, at least over the last couple of years or last few years since I've been tracking the SFB, this is only my second year doing it, but he's done an excellent job in doing that. So I would say that there and understanding just the scoring itself can help you find an edge. Because some folks might go into it without even looking at the scoring. They're just excited to get into the tournament, and they'll just start drafting like they normally would and wind up with, a, I guess, a subpar team. Whereas if you just were to look at the scoring and say, okay, hey, I might find a little bit more value if I were to draft X, you know, type of X position, that might be some help to you as well. So real quick before we get you out of here, Leo, uh, and also the same for you, Adam. Uh, Leo, uh, who are, I guess, a couple
2: of uh, notable folks that, uh, that are in your particular division for SFBA? So tactical assassin is uh is in there and he's going to be he's picking right next to me so that's going to be that's going to be a difficult road for me to really for me to I I'm going to get sniped I know so many <laughs> times in this thing it's not even going to be funny um there's a lot of guys in my division that I really don't know. And and I, you know, made the point of following these guys and, and interacting with some of them. But I don't it's I really don't have any established guys in there that I really have a lot of history with. So it's it's a whole new experience for me with this group, whereas last year I was in with four or five guys that I had really good relationships with. So. Uh, so I'm really excited about my particular division so that I can, again, like you had said, get to know these guys. and, and But I'm going in cold turkey. I went back and actually looked to see if I could find what they did. Uh, some of these guys were in last year and how they drafted last year because I wanted to kind of get an idea. And there just isn't any data. I'm just running blind. So, again, it's going to be a whole new experience for me with, these, with this particular group. But it's exciting.
0: Exactly. So, Adam, what about you, man? You caught me off guard. You got me scrolling through the timeline to get everyone because I know I'm going to forget people. I know I've got (laughs) you, Tyler Gee, uh, Pete Laws in there, and the rest would just be going off memory. But I remember our division being stacked. I mean, we've got a pretty tough one coming up. Yeah,
1: and at least for, well, I'm not in yours, uh, but Oh, the, you're right,
0: you're right, the other, the other Chris.
1: Yeah, uh, but the, uh, the one that I'm in, so I've got, uh, former guest, I've got Nate Powell in mine, um, I've got TJ Cal- uh, Calkins in mine as well, from, oh my uh, from goodness. T- yeah, uh, so that's gonna be great, um, I've got oh. Joe, I've got Joe Pano that we've already discussed, uh, Matt Wisp from RotoViz, um, I got who else? Uh, Justin McHaslin from the Fantasy Authority. Um, I've got some pretty big names in mind, so I don't know how well I'm going to do this year. I'm going to be kind of sweating like my draft like the whole time, so it's going to be very interesting drafting against those guys. But on the plus side, like Leo had mentioned, since I know most of these folks and, you know, we know what most of them have done. I've got some information on them. So I at least have at least a decent understanding of, like, who they value, or at least, like, some of the, you know, how, like, what their draft tendencies are. And, you know, for or a couple of them, I know they don't have any tendencies because they're just as flexible as I can be when it comes to drafting. So, I think it'll be interesting. I mean, it'll be, it'll be a tough division for sure, but I'm definitely looking forward to it. So, all right, Leo, uh, again, we'd like to say thank you for coming and sitting with us this evening. Uh, are there any other, I guess, last
2: remarks for some uh, Dynasty owners before we get you out of here? No, but the bottom line, it's kind of my, my the thing I've been on repeat, rinse and repeat the whole, the whole podcast is basically, you know, make sure you're having fun. Make sure you're having a good time playing fantasy football it shouldn't be about be getting aggravated because your player didn't perform the way you wanted them to or you, you know you want to make sure that that there's a level of enjoyment that you're building relationships that you're having a good time that and and that's the key right you don't want to do this there's no enjoyment in it so try not to get too worked up i've got some friends that play this that get so worked up during the season that i'm like you guys can't even enjoy this just life is too short you know? it's all about relationships and and make sure that you know you're just you're putting in the effort you're trying and you're just being a good dude all the way around and or a good lady depending on who's listening right because there's some really talented ladies that are playing in this industry now too um, but just be a good dude and just, uh, you know, like I said, enjoy it and, and don't take yourself too seriously and um, and get out there and, and build your brand, right? If that's your, if that's what you're trying to do, like with you guys with the podcast, keep it up. You guys are doing a great job and just keep building the brand and, um, you know, just remember everything you do adds to that legacy.
1: Absolutely. And, again, thanks again for for your time. And uh, I guess with, with your legacy with The Notebook, I mean, I think it's something that – I know you'll continue to build and we'll continue to do the same here with this podcast. So, Adam, uh, so what you got going on besides that ridiculous hat? Um, Otherwise, (laughs) (laughs) but otherwise, man, so what you got going on?
0: So to touch on the Rick and Morty division, I do have it pulled up. The two that I know is Tyler from F3Pod. We have Peter Lawrence, Pete Lawrence from DLF. And then I just found out Fantasy ADHD is also in our division. So this oh, one's wow. going to be tough. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well. So anyways, Fantasy Cares is to bring about appreciation and it's going to bring a lot of appreciation on Christmas day uh, about $20,000 in counting worth of appreciation. And what I just want to throw out there, I mean, you got that glowing appreciation for Leo from for from Leo for Scott and if you enjoy this podcast, you're listening on Scott's server. Now, I've talked to Scott for a couple years because he was um fantasy buddies with my brother, but he in no way needed to pick us up and put us on a server, especially two guys that have never done a podcast before. And we put a lot of work into this podcast, and partly because I was just so ecstatic that he would be willing to pick us up and put us on his server. So we really appreciate Scott a lot, and you guys should too. He put a great event together for us but back on the uh podcast note you can follow us at dynasty manual on twitter you can follow me at dhh underscore adam uh we'll see how the youtube thing went and we'll create our own server if that if that ends up happening but we really appreciate you guys listening 12 episodes in and it's been a lot of fun
1: yeah without a doubt and oh i forgot since we're on youtube i can show everybody so i got my Got my SFB8 T-shirt. I'm sporting that tonight, so I figured. it oh, would, yeah, I I've, I should have had it. Uh, it came in actually the day I left for Seattle, like before we left on vacation. So I, I had to I had to rep it this evening, especially since we're on YouTube live. So uh, again, for Adam, for the great Leo, I'm Chris Allen, your host. I'm at on Twitter at chrisallenffwx. We thank you guys so much again for coming out and joining us this evening, or for listening to the podcast in general. And we'll catch you guys oh, oh, next week.
0: Man, you it's automatic dynasty it's automatic owner's manual it's automatic dynasty it's automatic